eBay Motors es tu socio seguro. Con trabajo, piezas nuevas y mucha pasión, transformaste una carrocería oxidada con 100,000 millas en un vehículo totalmente singular. Juegos de frenos, faros, lo que necesites, eBay Motors lo tiene. Con Guaranteed Fit de eBay, te aseguras que la pieza le quede a tu carro a la primera o se te devuelve tu dinero. Y a estos precios, ¿qué más llantas sino dinero? Mantén vivo ese espíritu de Ride or Die, baby, en eBay Motors. eBayMotors.com Solo para artículos elegibles. Se aplican Tienes mucho en tus manos, pero con solo mover un dedo puedes dar marcha atrás con Pro Trailer Backup Assist disponible. Presentamos la nueva Ford F-150 2024. Ya sea que estés trabajando al máximo o divirtiéndote al máximo, esta camioneta te respalda porque está hecha para ser una parte indispensable de tu equipo. Fuerza así de inteligente solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford. Fuerza Ford. Aloha mamá, sorry por responder hasta ahora Estuve toda la tarde con mi unidad arreglando un helicóptero Black Hawk Hawái es increíble, luego te cuento más Te quiero Be all you can be, visitando goarmy.com diagonal español When something happens to your car You might say But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Univision Audio. Once my mother detected that we were just not healthy, she told us, you know what, we have to we have to leave the city. And that happened about a month after um, the first incident uh, happened. So once she told us we're packing the baggage and we're leaving, we got out of there as soon as we can. And I, I've been dying to go back, but I just I just can't right now. I have to give it a couple more, maybe years to get even consider going back to where it happened. If you look closely, September 11th is not an abstract way of saying goodbye. Another square on the calendar, another day's agenda to beam from the handheld to the cell phone. On the elevator to the 78th floor, a secretary burns her tongue on hot coffee. Office is closed today, but there's an urgent fax she forgot to send last night. At Logan Airport, someone is admiring his new shoes. Someone washes her hands. In the bathroom, someone pins a name tag on a child. In a frighteningly common act, they board the planes that will propel them to a collective blazing destiny inside the World Trade Center, zero degrees of separation as they melt into each other's bones. Can you see her there at ground zero? That is not liberty walking among the dead, wearing a hard hat and a gas mask, black hair dragging in the ashes, of all those nameless Mexicans. The woman wailing at the sooty sky is La Llorona. She knows the towers will topple like Babel, like the tarot card that signifies the end of an old world order. Welcome to this, our fourth and last episode of La Llorona podcast, brought to you by Warner Brothers. 
being this or last episode, it is also a very important one. We will not only be having another terrifying encounter with La Llorona, but also we'll be talking to expert, researcher, professor, and writer Alicia Gaspar de Alba. Her research explores how people talk about La Llorona, the stories they tell, how these stories compare to the legends that exist and that are passed down through the oral tradition. She also analyzes the gender dynamics and cultural politics of the story. And she is one of those scholars who sees La Llorona as both a manifestation of La Malinche, but also a precursor to La Malinche. This is because it is told that the sick omen that the Aztec priest told Moctezuma were signs of the end of the ruling sun was an old woman howling through the streets and causeways at night, grieving and calling for her lost children. Dr. Gaspar de Alba is also a published novelist and a poet, and she uses La Llorona all over her fiction, poetry, and even her personal essay. Well, now I think we're ready for the encounter of the day. I have in the line Matias Sansores. Uh, welcome, Matias. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. And, uh, well, you just wanted to share your experience with us. So I understand, as you were um, telling me off air, that you were born in Mexico and stayed there during your childhood. Tell me a little bit about your life in Mexico and what happened before you and your family moved here to the U.S. Uh, but mostly, so, well, I think it is important for the audience to know your experience with La Llorona and how this changed your life, right? Because you were telling me that this experience somehow, well, what happened with her influence for you and your family wanting to leave not just Colima, which is the city where you were born, but also the country. Thank you, Daphne. You know, I'm, I'm very excited to be here with you, tell, you know, telling you my experience. Well, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, what happened with La Llorona, if it was her or whatever spirit it may have been, definitely made us, you know, run away. It's funny because, you know, when we watch the Hollywood movies and we say that the actors leave the places where they live in, because it is either, you know, haunted or something scary had happened in that nature. It seems as if it was just fiction, but it definitely isn't. And it definitely it influenced our destiny afterwards. And to be very honest with you, I, I miss Colima very much. You know, all the people, the traditions, even the legends, you know, the tales that we'd be kept up the entire night telling at night with our families, it... It's of memory that I, I wish I could experience for the rest of my life. So, um, you know, when I was a kid, and even now, I've heard so many different versions as well. And I mean, like you have mentioned in like previous episodes as well, because I'm a huge fan, not just here in La Llorna, but in Enigma Sin Resolver. The important thing to remember is that the ending is always the same. That's what makes me believe even more. But so the most popular version of the tale talks about this young woman named Maria who fell crazy in love, right? When she married this man, she fell in love with... They had children together before Maria's husband lost interest in her, you know, but, uh, you know, one day while walking by the river with her two children, Maria caught sight of her husband riding by in his, I believe, his carriage or whatever it may have been, accompanied by another young woman. 
And, you know, as you can imagine, as if any random girl sees her significant other with another man, you know, she lost it. When I hear this, you know, I realize the problem is the way in which she managed that sadness and that rage. She just didn't do it in the right way because this version says that she took her two children in the river and pretty much drowned them alive. And that sight is just so scary in my in my mind. But once she'd done it and realized what she did, of course, you know, all the anger she felt went away and just this horrible pain and regret came to her. It was months that she spent crying, screaming because of just what had happened and what she had done. And she would just hope for the longest that she had never done it. She just wanted to go back in time and undo what she had done. But what I have also heard is that she actually killed herself in the process after, you know, realizing what had happened. So um, here I wonder if the first version doesn't actually say that she killed herself, but says that she cried and cried after she killed him for like months, then would this maybe have been the spirit already without people knowing? I mean, because I can understand that after years and years and you realize she just, there's no way she could still be alive. But I believe these two versions just have that little piece missing. But I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I hadn't really thought about that. But like you say, right, maybe these two versions come together in the sense that when people think she was still crying for her children, right, uh, as you're, you're telling me, maybe it wasn't her, maybe it was the spirit, and that's where they kind of overlap. Um, so how did you realize that you started to interact with this spirit. What happened? What was the point where you said, oh, wait, this is not just legend. Now I'm actually living this in real life. Well, before I go into detail, I should just tell you that, you know, again, I was born in the city of Colima, which has always been one of those cities with, you know, the little villages, you know, at-home traditions, all of those And then uh, everything has like a hidden story from the past years. You know, all of these stories are, of course, part of the paranormal world, as funny as that sounds. It is it's one of the things that makes Mex Mexico just so special. And I personally just love that my village back in Colima and just all in Mexico in general. You know, for some reason, though, I always felt as if she would have chosen us or as if she would have always been around or even if we wouldn't even think about her. Well, we always try to stay positive. You know, we always try to just judge whatever it was that wouldn't go away. And more importantly, we always try to be respectful of that energy and of that spirit as told by our elders, you know, generations before us. I'd, I'd like to mention that, you know, before the story I'm going to tell you about, you know, what happened, we always felt something, as you know, especially me. When I'd be in my bedroom, I wouldn't be able to sleep and because I would just feel as though there was something there. Even though I wouldn't physically see anything nor hear it, it was just that heavy vibe in the air that I would feel entering or even close to me. Honestly, I, I wouldn't even be able to close my eyes to go to sleep. Just as soon as I would close them, I would feel that heavy negative presence 
and it's, it's just so close to me and I would get the feeling that it would get inside of me or would even attack me in, in that nature. I know it was just the negative vibes in the air that I was thinking of and just not sure if, if that would really even actually happen. I mean, this thing, whatever it was doing to me, it was, it, I definitely felt something was there. And uh, so, you know, then it began. When I turned eight years old, you know, our house is at the top of a small hill. My grandparents, you know, on my dad's side, they live right next to us. At the bottom of the hill lived a distant uncle with us, um, with his daughter and obviously, uh, I believe, grandkids. Through, you know, through my uncle's yard, you know, we had to cross a small little stream of water. Um, it was almost dried up. It was about two feet wide and I believe a half a foot in height, if I'm right. This stream connected to a river about six feet away from his house. So the story began on the day after it rained. I was outside with my siblings, you know, my cousins, you know, playing on the street like ordinary kids, running around, playing tag, jumping in puddles, things to keep us entertained. My uncle, uh, a skinny, you know, 60-year-old man, was just taking care of us, enjoying his time. And just as the sun started going down, it just got colder. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the area, but Colima is always hot. So we knew something was very out of the ordinary. But it didn't matter. We were having fun. We didn't think of anything of it. You know, around 10 in the night, um, something in the air just changed. All of us, I mean, the kids, you know, we stopped and just looked around. It was as if our bodies were just engulfed by fright. And then we heard her cry. We were... Well, me especially, you know, I was shocked just because, like I told you, we had grown up with the with the legend of La, of La Llorona. Now, I never really thought I would come across something like this. You know, to be honest, I feel like we always hear stories and we either don't believe them or, you know, we don't take them too seriously. It's not something in our mind, but even less, we think it would, it would even, have, even less happen to us. So, um... It's like an illness when, you know, we think about either cancer, HIV, or whatever horrible diseases out there. We see, the, we see the news about it, you know, or we hear what people are going through, and it's a pain that you can't, you can't really relate to unless you, unless you have it. And I get the feeling that we just always see it as something at the distance. We never realize it um, until it happens to us. And when it does happen... You know, I wondered to myself, why not, you know, a, a neighbor down the block? Why, why is it, why is it coming after me? You know, we're all, we're we're all the same, and I get that point. And I want just wanted to make this point because I'm just, I'm not sure a lot of people, you know, listening to this right now, understand the logic behind about what was going on. It's something that obviously drastically changed my mind. You know, it could be entertaining or it sounds interesting, but I bet you that no one listening is thinking at any time soon it could happen to them or anytime soon La Llorona would choose them just like it chose us. You know, anybody else who had seen her and heard her, uh, I just I just thought it was important to make that point because I think that 
by not believing in them, we're also challenging them to actually appear to us. As as ironically as that sounds, we are, you know, being disrespectful somehow. So I would just try to encourage everyone to know that there are so many dimensions that are happening at the same time that are third dimension and that it's just always important to be respectful. Um, if we don't want to interact with them the right way or whatever the nature may be, you just have to be respectful. You know, don't be scared because they do feed off that energy. They detect it very quickly. And most importantly, you have to tell them to go away with love. As, you know, once you're in the moment, you know, love doesn't come into your perspective, but that's literally one of the only ways you can get them away. And, you know, since I learned that, my life completely changed. And now there's no spirit that could harm me. And I, I'm going to keep it that way for the rest of my life. Um, anyway, uh, sorry, I just felt like it was important to point those things out. Now, uh, you know, after we heard the first cry, we, you know, we heard it again. But this time, it was just a lot louder, and you heard it for miles. And the reason I believe it got stronger and louder is because we got so scared that somehow that that gave the spirit, like, strength. And we, we felt that. Everybody, my cousins, we, we felt that something was just getting even more powerful. And because, as you can imagine, we were all panicking, but our bodies were just frozen in place. We just, we couldn't move. And I, 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 for the life of me, I tried my best to open my mouth, move my legs, and I just, I couldn't. You know, and now for this, you know, the second time we heard it, it got louder and stronger. But at that point, you know, my uncle must have heard it somehow. And he literally ran towards us with his machete, you know, thinking something else was going on without knowing what was actually, you know, really going on. You know, he moved my cousins. And he told them, you know, go inside their house, but to not touch the stream of water. You know, that that's something that I never really understood. Um, you know, what does, what does a stream of water have to do with anything? Of course, you know, the idea of it being La Llorona has crossed my mind before, but in the nature, you know, I mean, what he said, I was sure. Since uh, my siblings and I lived at the top of the hill, he said he would take us. As we walked, we, you know, we heard it again and again and again. The most oh, horrifying cry you could ever think of. Uh, it, it, it was followed by a, like a women whimpering. And at that point, I knew something was completely wrong. You know, my uncle must have seen us, our, all of our scared faces, because he began distracting us with, you know, silly little tales about any little thing, whether it was a joke about from the past, you know, just to keep our mind really entertained, just so we can get out of that picture that, you know, something's following us. Um, once at our house, uh, he told us to go inside and not come out until tomorrow morning you know my mom had had already been asleep and he came up to her and they were talking for a little bit you know I, I assume he explained what happened I believe he already knew what what had caused everything because the moment he left my mom rushed to our room you know she's never one to really panic as that and that was the first time I saw her eyes just so wide of just fear she she tucked us all in in bed, began spraying, you know, holy water all around the room. She ignited the candle and began to pray. 
I don't, I don't know how I fell asleep. And since then, whenever we were outside and the sun began to set, we always just rushed inside because, you know, no one wanted to come face to face with La Llorona. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so, did your mom say anything the next day? It was never really an explanation. It was just as if as if it never happened. Just so we can never keep that mindset in us that if it really was her or it was another spirit in that nature, it was just one of those nights where I didn't I did not feel safe in my own home, let alone my own city. Uh after this happened, uh, you were telling me you were eight years old by then. When was the moment or when did you guys leave after that um, that you and your parents said, we can't stay here anymore? Uh, because like you told me right now, you just felt like she was around all the time, which is interesting because I've had, as you've heard, other testimonies in the podcast in previous episodes, and they all say the same. They feel like uh, she chose them. Uh, they feel like she doesn't leave, and they don't know how to get rid of her. You know, just the notion of just leaving hit my mind the day, about a day or a day or two after it happened. I I had probably one of the worst nightmares I've ever had in my life, and I woke up screaming. You know, I, I was never one to be scared of anything. I never feared any movie, anybody in that nature, but this traumatized me, and it, it traumatized my my siblings, you know, my cousins. It, nothing was the same anymore, and that's something I've always tried to explain to everybody that asks me, you know, what happened. I can't really, really talk about it because it just brings me back to that very night when it was just raining and you heard that strong just crying and once once my mother detected that we were just not healthy, she told us, you know what, we have to, we have to leave the city and that happened about a month after um, the first incident. Uh, happened so once she told us we're packing the baggers and we're leaving we got out of there as soon as we can and I, I've been dying to go back but I just I just can't right now I have to give it a couple more maybe years to get even consider going back to where it happened no it's it's one of those things that I just I would love to but it's too much right now so you haven't even visited since then no it's it's one of those things that I just I would love to but it's too much right now so uh, you were telling me before that now somehow I mean I completely understand the fear you must be feeling I guess being here makes you feel safe somehow right because you're very far away from where it happened what makes you feel, on the other hand, that sending her love and, and re being respectful, given the advice that you gave to the audience before, as far as saying, if you don't believe, that's fine, but still be respectful and just send them love and good energy. Where, when did you get to that point uh, of 
you know, I guess, maturity, if you will? Um, I want to say just after my second incident in my home, although it wasn't La Llorona, it was just another, just a bad spirit that I felt in my own home. Um, the first incident that came to my mind was my grandma always told me was the only way to get rid of them was obviously just be respectful because if you came out with anger or anything else in that nature, it it was always going to come against you. And just speaking as someone who experienced it with La Llorona once and just a random spirit the next time, I told myself that from here on out, I had to be not fearful, but as respectful or anything in that nature so it could seem that the that the energy just can't come to me. I always have to come in with a very happy mindset, a very positive mindset, because if I get one detection of, you know, fear, anger, they feed off that. And that's something I want the audience to understand, that if it's a, you know, a, a bad spirit that I had, you can't really, um, you can't really get rid of it until until you really just give up um, fear, you know, either it, it's it's just so you have to really experience it to get to get my point. But just always, always be respectful to them. And if you don't want them in their lives, you know, carry a cross, have holy water in the house, have something to know that you're that They're not going to win and that you're you're strong. Uh, one last question. This is something that I like to ask to you guys because, I mean, you've faced her and I think it's very important to hear your perspective. Um, so this is supposedly supposedly happened back in the 1500s, right? We're talking about hundreds of years. Why do you think uh, she's not living this dimension right why she's not going to the light or whatever she should go um she's saying her do you think it's a personal choice from her soul or do you think do you think she's just actually still looking for her children would she believe she can find them another thing that i would like to know is whether you may be thinking is it some other beings of the dark that are keeping her here maybe well um i think personally it, it just might be her just not satisfied with what's going on and what obviously she did so i i in my you know like i was saying it's the experience i don't think she was leaving anytime soon you know she she has something unsatisfied in her mindset Whether, you know, she's obviously maybe gone already, but there's something missing that she would never really, that she, you know, you know, you can't really ask her, but you have to, you have to understand that she, you know, she killed her kids. You know, that that's probably one of the worst things that I heard. And for a soul to even consider leaving after doing something in that nature, I don't think it's very possible. So I think she'll continue roaming this earth, this dimension for the rest of her time. 
because there's no way she can go back from what she did. So, you know, I don't, I don't see her tail ever losing sight unless somehow maybe someone can talk to her, but that's probably not the safest bet at this point. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't see her leaving this world, this realm, whatever it may be, anytime soon. Yeah, I think you make a really good point when you say she killed them. And we've heard there are unfortunately a lot of stories of, of mothers that killed their children, right? Uh, but I feel like this uh, particular instance is different because she actually regretted it. So it, it was not just what she did, the regret, and also... You know, if, if it is true that the entire community around were kind of like following her around to, I mean, blaming her for what she's done. So we have a lot of different factors and emotions here um, that, you know, it might be more difficult than any other example that we can use as women that have killed their children. I guess uh, this particular instance of Maria, if this was her name, um like you mentioned, you've heard that was her name. It's just different because it's it's also the regret that she had. And she's like probably saying, I'm not going to leave until I actually can somehow undo what I did, right? Which cannot happen. Well, Matias, uh, I just want to thank you for being here with us and sharing your experience. Um, is there anything else you would like to add, uh, especially for the people that don't believe that La Llorona is real? Yeah, um, well, before I get to my point, you know, thank you for having me here. You know, it's definitely been very beneficial for my mindset to really talk about it. You know, I've never really spoken to anybody about this incident besides family. But I believe um, anybody out there that doesn't believe in this kind of stuff, you know, I, I wasn't one to believe in it either always have an open mind to it because maybe one day it can happen to you or a family member or a relative, whatever in that nature may be. It's just keep an open mind because there's a lot of things in this world that are just unexplained and maybe one day we will never understand the logic behind it, but always, always believe in your, always have a high spirit, positive spirit. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. So, audience out there, just always always be in a happy mood and nothing will follow you after that. Thank you, Matias. Thank you, Daphne, for your time. Before going with our expert, I would like to tell you a little bit about the movie The Curse of La Llorona. As a social worker, Ana Tate Garcia doesn't understand the desperation that her client Patricia Álvarez feels to protect her children from La Llorona, 
because the recently widowed Anna didn't grow up with the stories about the legend, but utterly unprepared for the very real threat her own children soon face, and with nowhere else to run, Anna puts her faith in Rafael Olvera, a former priest who left the church and now serves the community as a curandero. The Rafael is as skeptical of Anna as she is of him, her children's vulnerability in the face of such formidable evil moves him to join the fight against La Llorona. Have you ever seen her? Have you heard her cries? Viene por tus hijos. The Curse of La Llorona. Only in theaters on April 19. Now, I would like to welcome our expert. Um, I talked to you a little bit about her at the beginning of the episode, and we are so excited to have her here. She is Dr. Alicia Gaspar de Alba, PhD in American Studies, Professor of Chicano Studies, English and Gender Studies, as well as Chair for the LGBTQ Program at UCLA. She has written multiple books and has done extensive research in regard to La Llorona research in which she analyzes the gender dynamics and cultural politics of the story. Like I mentioned also at the beginning of the episode, research explores how people talk about La Llorona, the stories they tell, and how these stories compare to the legends that exist and that are passed down through the oral tradition. Welcome, doctor. Thank you so much for being here with us. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'd like to start with knowing um, what inspired you to initially start researching about La Llorona. You know, it really goes back. I grew up hearing about her from my from my family, and you know perfectly well that the, in Mexico they use that to like uh, threaten you to come home before it gets dark uh, or to do anything that you know you're, you're supposed to do because otherwise La Llorona is going to get you. So she's the, the biggest cuckoo of them all, right? Uh, so that that's always been something fascinating to me. But it, I, when I was in college at the University of Texas at El Paso, I took a Chicano literature class, which was a big step for me because my family never called, never allowed me to call myself a Chicana. They thought that there was a huge difference between Mexicans and Chicanos. Um, but, but I took this class, Chicano literature, kind of kept it a secret from my family. Uh, and in that class, we were reading so much work having to do with La Llorona, the poetry and stories and, you know, uh, oral tradition transcripts. And I thought, you know, that's a lie, that Chicanos have nothing to do with Mexicans and vice versa, because we are Mexicans. We're Mexicans who are born and raised in the, in the U.S., and so it's a different kind of Mexican, but still our cultural traditions and beliefs and uh, stories, uh, we carry them with us. And that's one of the things that um, has always haunted me uh, is uh, is uh, the La Llorona. Yeah, for sure. Um, being Mexican myself, I can definitely understand how this is just a story very close to our hearts. And we 
we grow up hearing about her. Um, so in our first episode, we explored the possibility of La Malinche, this uh, very, very important historic figure in the Mexican culture, to be the spirit of La Llorona. Um, some of your poems mention her. Do you have any specific beliefs as to whether this might be true? Well, you know, um, for a long time, It, in in the in the Chicano literature and li literary and cultural uh, circles that you know I I inhabit as a as an academic, the belief was that um, Malinche, because of everything that she went through in terms of being uh, you know cast as the Mexican Eve, responsible for the downfall you know of the whole Aztec civilization, uh, was somebody who's soul is uh, grieving, uh, grieving to be remembered in this way. Um, but, but in actuality, I mean, I do have a poem about, about Malinche uh, that says, uh, at the end, some say that, that you are the spirit of, of La Llorona, uh, because she is constantly bemoaning the fact that there is, uh, you know, that her children uh, are lost to her. Um, so, so there is that. But when you do more research, you find out that in actuality, there was a Yorona who preceded Malinche um, by I don't know how how many you know decades, because she was one of the uh, one of the nine omens that the Aztec emperor was was given by his um, by his priests. Uh, you know, they said there's going to be nine signs that uh, our son. Our cuarto sol is coming to an end, and um, one of them is is going to be that we're going to hear the voice of an old woman grieving down the streets and the causeways, uh, calling out for her lost children. Now they they gave her a name, an uh, you know Nahuatl name, which unfortunately has just slipped out of my mind. But it might be Siwakwatl. It could be Siwakwatl exactly, but she's the sixth omen. So in actuality, La Llorona precedes Malinche, but in the sense of them being um, betrayed mothers, they, they definitely would go hand in hand. Yeah, so right now you just mentioned the oral traditions. I, I would like to know, how do you consider the legend of La Llorona to have shaped uh, or helping shaped these, these oral traditions, not just Mexicans and Chicanos, but now even Americans? You know, what's interesting is that um, we're not the only culture that has a, a weeping woman uh, legend. Uh, there have been stories uh, of a weeping woman, of a grieving woman, uh, in so many different cultures, including even Chinese culture. Uh, the Central Americans have their own name, Ishtabai. Uh, that is, I think, a trope of, of humanity, this this mother grieving for for children that that have been killed or taken away or or that she's been betrayed by i think that that's just a universal trope um but but the the i think that yorona because of the way that mexico is in terms of our mother culture the way that we the way that we honor the mother so much the way that the mother is is in some ways so much more um significant Uh, more than the father, that that she, as the quote bad mother, who who killed her children, would always be 
remembered as something you should not be, something you should not do. If you want to be a good girl, if you don't want to, you know, end up like La Llorona wandering the streets looking for your your lost children, uh, you have to behave and you have to do the right things. So in that sense, that's part of the the gender dynamics that I analyze because I'm a cultural critic and that's what I look at, uh, the gender dynamic of the socialization of girls, especially uh, according to legends, uh, one of which is La Llorona and the other one uh, which is La Virgen de Guadalupe, you know, so you don't want to be like La Llorona or La Malinche, you want to be more like La Virgen de Guadalupe. Yeah, that's so interesting because now we we get deeper into societal issues, right? And and how we as women, what is our identity? How should we behave? And and it's so interesting when you mention this in in inclusively in your studies in gender dynamics because I don't think people really think about that. So now I would like to know a little bit about other things that you've done um, in your work. You wrote many other books such as The Curse of the Gypsy, Make a Killing, Desert of Blood, about Las Muertas de Juárez, um, and of course, La Llorona on the Longfellow Bridge, and, and many more. Tell me, how has La Llorona become part of every and each one of your writings and your work? It's not a part of every single one, but just about every single one, or I find a way of being able to weave the legend at, at the very least. Uh, into whatever I'm writing. So I've I've published 12 books, and uh, three of those are novels, two of them are collections of poetry, and two of them are collections of fiction. The rest are academic work. Uh, the, the the book that you were mentioning on the Muertas de Juarez uh, is called Desert Blood, or in Spanish, Sangre en el Desierto. And um, that really completely summoned uh, the, my Llorona, uh, you know, fascination or obsession, if you will, uh, because the women who are the mothers of the victims, each and every one of them is a Llorona who is looking for her lost child. And she, you have a gathering of mothers who are, as a collective, trying to, you know, bring justice to to their lives and trying to like get find the killers and trying to like uh, return the dignity of the memory of their daughter and in all of these ways they are contemporary Yoronas and um, my uh, my wife who is the artist Alma Lopez has done you know several pieces that that evoke that notion of the mothers as Yoronas. In fact, the cover of the poetry book La Llorona on the Longfellow Bridge uh, has the model that she has used throughout showing uh, a young woman who is weeping uh, uh, because she could be either a mother or a victim, but, you know, she's weeping because her memory is going to be uh, desecrated with notions of, you know, the social discourse of if she hadn't been a bad girl, nothing bad would have happened to her. So that's another way of, like, blaming the victims, right, or blaming the mothers. You shouldn't let your daughters go out the door with short skirts and high heels. Uh, so it's your fault that something happened to them. So in all of these ways, it's always the victim who, or the woman who is blamed for what happens to them, just as Yorona was always blamed for having murdered her children. And, uh, and like I said, we can rewrite that story any way we want to. But what really... 
uh, I think Chicanos on on this side and and and, and certainly you know all over all over Mexico, especially within popular uh, culture, what what really stands out for them, other than the bad mother, is the notion of the grief and and uh, the wandering in 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 life, uh, trying to find something you know precious that, that was lost or or taken away. And so so you can see how that concept could be integrated into so many different things. Yeah, definitely. And I and I almost wonder if what you're mentioning right now we have to do in a way with the different versions that we've heard, right? Uh, the, I mean, the most important version is that she killed her children and then she killed herself. But there are other versions in which she was blamed, even though her kids had been killed for someone else. And then all the the people around in the community was blaming her. And it is so important that you mention all of these regarding to victim blaming, right? Uh, like you say, if something happened to me, it might be because I was late at night instead of actually putting responsibility where it should be. Um, and so this is definitely worth to look further, not just in our culture, but also everywhere else. Like I mentioned, when I first had the opportunity to reach out to you, we've had a lot of testimonials in both English and Spanish of people that you know, constantly write us to tell us their encounters with the spirit of La Llorona. So we've been talking about La Llorona in the sense of how it has shaped our culture, our oral tradition, and the gender dynamics, as you mentioned. But when when it comes to the paranormal and the spirit, do you believe that she exists or have you ever thought about it in that sense? You know, I named my second poetry book La Llorona on the Longfellow Bridge. Uh, which is in, in Boston, because I lived in Boston for four years in the 1980s. And um, I, I would hear her all the time. I never saw her. I've never seen her. But I hear her. And and I think it's a notion of, you know, something, some deep longing uh, that you hear somehow transmitted on the airwaves or from your own heart. I'm not sure. Um, and and you and you connect with that image and that legend. Um, the Longfellow Bridge is the bridge that connects Boston to Cambridge, and that's the closest that you know I could get to a bridge like the one that connects Juarez to El Paso. She's very much for me. La Llorona is very much a border, uh, you know, individual, an individual that doesn't exist on any one ground, but in the middle. Uh, in that fluid place in the middle that, that's represented by the river. And I realized that I think Yorona lives in all bridges. And she exists even in Boston. She exists, you know, in New York. She exists in Canada. She exists in Alaska. Wherever Mexicans are, La Yorona is, is what I think. And, um, and in terms of proving whether she's real or she's not real, um, I don't think that you can prove uh, you know, anything that you have a belief in, I mean, you can't really prove God exists, and yet people believe in God. Uh, you know, so in the same way, people who say they've heard her, or say they've seen her, or somehow she, you know, manifests in their life, I completely believe. So something that's this old, and that's been passed on, you know, for so many generations among our people, um, can only be real in the sense that it lives. Yeah, and, and what is your 
energy connecting with, right? Uh, we had we had a testimony, and she was telling us that she had just been cheated by her boyfriend, and when she had to get off the car because she was driving, when he told her on the phone, when she got off the car, she started kind of like you know try to breathe and stop crying, and she started walking. And that's when she felt the energy of like what she thought it was La Llorona. But it can it is just such a coincidence that she was going through this moment in which supposedly La Llorona was going through as well when she discovered that she was being cheated on and all that. So it's also how what is your vibrational energy, right? So do you connect with the good or do you connect with the bad? I think that's that's an important point. To and make. really, it's the point of um, what kind of feeling that you have and if you're open to these experiences then they'll happen and if you're not they won't happen yeah definitely um so of course i cannot let you go uh before first ask you if you i mean i would love for you to read us a few short expert excerpts from some of your la llorona poems if that would be possible it would be a pleasure to hear them well, I actually wrote uh, a mass for La Llorona. It's called the Kyrie Eleison for La Llorona. Um, I, I could read just this poem. It's kind of a long one. Or I could just read the first part of it and then maybe read an excerpt of another poem. If, if that will be okay? Yeah, of course. Okay. So anyway, this is like written like a mass. I'm not saying she died. I'm not saying she no longer lives in the weeping willows of Iowa City, the Boston Common, or El Chamizal. I'm not saying she is no longer seen on the Zaragoza Bridge, the Golden Gate, or the Longfellow, nor that her cries have ceased pulling stray kids and lovers to her path, her veiled bed always vacant on one side. It's just that for all her years in our genealogy, all the blame she's always borne for everybody's sins, Nobody's ever offered a mass for La Llorona, wicked mother, grieving on the riverbank, wailing through the streets, haunting the causeways of our island hearts. Nobody has ever asked why she is still not canonized, devil's martyr. And that's the first part of a three-part poem. And then I'm also going to read um, my, uh, basically my September 11th poem, uh, uh, after, you know, the, the tragedy happened in New York City in 2001. If you look closely, September 11th is not an abstract way of saying goodbye. Another square on the calendar, another day's agenda to beam from the handheld to the cell phone. On the elevator to the 78th floor, a secretary burns her tongue on hot coffee. Office is closed today, but there's an urgent fax she forgot to send last night. At Logan Airport, someone is admiring his new shoes. Someone washes her hands in the bathroom. Someone pins a name tag on a child. In a frighteningly common act, they board the planes that will propel them to a collective blazing destiny inside the World Trade Center, zero degrees of separation as they melt into each other's bones. Can you see her there at Ground Zero? That is not liberty walking among the dead wearing a hard hat and a gas mask, black hair dragging in the ashes of all those nameless Mexicans. The woman wailing at the sooty sky is La Llorona. She knows the towers will topple like Babel, like the tarot card that signifies the end 
of an old world order. Wow. I love the connection you make and definitely worth for us to keep looking into your work and what you, I mean, I personally, I, I love these type of things. Um, I don't have a PhD, but I did have a master's degree in which I explored some of these things in communication studies. So it was just, it's just definitely something that I personally look forward to read. Is there anything you would like to tell to our audience before I ask you, where can we explore more about your writings and research about La Llorona and, of course, the rest of your books and constant research? Sure. You know, I think that it's important to be aware of the way that the legend itself is neutral in the sense that it's a retelling of a story. But stories are very powerful. And and usually parents tell, and, and mothers and grandmothers tell the legend of La Llorona to their daughters so that their daughters will behave in a certain way. And they start socializing their daughters into believing that they could one day be thought of as bad, that they could be punished for eternity for not following the rules. You know, and I think that that is a very harsh sentence to give to our daughters uh, and, and to know that you know, this legend also has another interpretation, that we always have to look at the other side. What is that story about from the point of view of the woman? And who says that she actually killed her children? Who says her children were taken away from her? You know, why are we just promoting one version of that story? Yeah. Definitely, for sure, and how it applies to our society nowadays. Exactly. Right now, in the Me Too, it's like, Yorona would be the first one going, you know, Me Too, hashtag Me Too, Yorona, you know? Definitely. So, the, unfortunately, the, the time is short, but I would love for you to tell us how, if, if there is a way in which the audience can look for you on the internet, uh, where can they find your writings, your books, your poems, and, and even your research? You know, I really appreciate um, having this opportunity to showcase my uh, creative writing because as an academic, you can imagine, especially a place like UCLA, so busy that, um, you know, it takes up all of your time. And uh, that's something that, you know, it just, it's very consuming. So um, if people would like to learn more about my work and see my books and, and uh, where to order them, uh, you can order all my stuff through Amazon or Barnes and Noble. But you can also go to my website, at, um, which is just uh, http slash slash aliciagaspardealba.net. And, uh, and there's also a link on there to the Desert Blood has its own website, and that would be desertblood.net. And that's focusing just on that novel and on that issue uh, of the Juarez murders. Awesome. Uh, either way, I will be putting this all this information in our description below. So if you're listening right now and you're more interested about this, make sure to look at the description of this episode in which I will be putting all of this information for you to look at Dr. Gaspar de Alba's work. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for being here in Univision in La Llorona podcast. It's, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Well, this has been all for today for this, our last episode um, of La Llorona, this original podcast series brought to you by Warner Brothers. Thank you so much for having joined us these four episodes. And feel free to leave us a review in your app, in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. My name is Daphne Wegebe, and remember to look out for La Llorona.
Aloha, mamá. ¿Dónde andas? <ríe> Seguro de compras. Tengo mucho que contarte. Hawái es increíble. He estado de un lado a otro comunidad. Todos son súper talentosos. Ya reparamos otro helicóptero Blackhawk y oficialmente formamos nuestro equipo de fútbol. Para la próxima, te cuento cómo voy con el surf y me cuentas qué te pareció el podcast que te compartí. ¿Ok? Te quiero mucho. Be all you can be. Visitando goarmy.com diagonal español. Boost Mobile tiene una gran oferta para que aproveches tu reembolso de impuestos al máximo y te mantengas conectado. Al cambiarte a Boost, recibe un 50% de descuento en tu primer mes de datos ilimitados. O, con un plan ilimitado de 40 dólares, llévate un Samsung Galaxy A15 5G por $39.99. Obtén los mejores teléfonos en las redes 5G más grandes del país. Con Boost Mobile, cambiarse es fácil. Solo visita BoostMobile.com. Boost Mobile, sin miedo al éxito. Para clientes nuevos y solamente en línea, requiere Arupay. 50% de descuento en el primer mes requiere un plan de 25 dólares al mes. Aplican otras restricciones. Visita Boost Mobile. Corran la voz porque la venta para amigos y familiares de JCPenney está de vuelta. Y esta semana tenemos un cupón de 30% extra para que prepares a tu familia y hogar esta Pascua. Estos son ahorros adicionales por encima de nuestros precios bajos. Además, comparte el cupón con quien tú quieras, porque siempre es mejor cuando ahorramos juntos. JCPenney, tallas y estilos para todos. Oferta válida del 11 al 17 de marzo. Aplican exclusiones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com. Este abril te invitamos a nuestra feria virtual Univisión Contigo rumbo a la universidad. Conéctate virtualmente con representantes de colegios y universidades en la costa este. Desde Nueva York a Florida, aprende sobre ayuda financiera, becas y otros recursos para continuar tu educación. Regístrate para asistir y para la oportunidad de ganar una tableta. Te esperamos en Univisión Contigo rumbo a la universidad del 3 al 9 de abril. Regístrate ya en univision.com diagonal universidad. 